what will your future look like? The job you do today could be different than the jobs of tomorrow. Some see this as a challenge. At UCF, we see opportunity. A chance for you to grow your knowledge and strengthen your skills from anywhere life might take you. With in-demand degree programs and resources for your success, UCF Online can help you prepare for the future and all the possibilities that come with it. From the University of Central Florida's Center for Distributed Learning, I am Tom Cavanaugh. And I am Kelvin Thompson. And you are listening to TopCast, the teaching online podcast. Woo-hoo! Greetings. Yay. Yeah. That was not a mystery. No, I, I, we have the benefit of seeing on video. So I, I actually I witnessed your woo. I knew it was coming there. Could be our, our producer of the day, Christine, might have been a ventriloquist. Yeah, I don't think she would she would do that. Christine's a fine, upstanding person. She's not some crazy random wooer. That's right. They they do they do appear now and again. <laughs> now and again. And playing the role of crazy wooer today is Kelvin Thompson. That's right. Yeah. Wouldn't be the first time I've played that role, probably. <laughs> well, I appreciate your enthusiasm nonetheless. I mean, what what is a podcast if not an opportunity to have some high energy and here it is on a Friday afternoon when we are recording this. And caffeine. And caffeine, yes. So I am, for those on video, I'm holding up my cup, my mug. Me too. Filled uh, by Kelvin Thompson just moments ago. What is in your thermos, Kelvin? And here is, for the video viewing audience, there is the thermos. Um, Well, today's coffee comes with a story, Tom, and uh, more on that in a moment. But the coffee itself comes to us from TopCast listener and former TopCast guest... Russ Poulin of WCET. Russ sent us this single-origin Sumatra from his neck of the woods in Boulder, Colorado. The coffee has a picture of a tiger on the packaging associated with Sumatra, of course, and I was reminded of an idiom I heard recently that you can't ride a tiger. I'm going to try to figure out ways of sticking that idiom in wherever I can over the next couple months. And this particular roasting company is called The Unseen Bean. And that's where the story comes in. The master coffee roaster behind this coffee is blind. In fact, he is purportedly the only blind professional coffee roaster known in the industry. Typically, coffee roasters rely heavily on visual cues as they perfect the roasting of their coffees. However, this master roaster, Jerry Leary had to teach himself how roasting could be perceived reliably through his other senses. In addition to smell, he's able to hear a difference in the sound of the beans at different stages of the roasting process, which I think is utterly fascinating. And we'll stick a link in the show notes to the, like a video and stuff about all this. It's pretty cool. So how's the coffee? And can you find a connection of some sort to today's topic? Uh, well, the coffee is good. Um, thank you, Russ. I uh, appreciate it. Um, w- when he did send that, uh, I, I did go watch the video about uh, Jerry Leary, the, the roaster, and it, it is fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, he's, he trains his, his staff, to, even if they are sighted, to, to do it the way he does it, uh, which is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, it is really cool, and it's good. So thank you. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Jerry and Kelvin. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now... About the yes. connection. Connection. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I am a, you know, a thick-headed 
Dunder Muffin. Um, <laughs> what, is it, what is it from Elf? A ninny Muggins? <laughs> a dunderheaded like Ninny Muggins or something? something. Uh, I feel like that sometimes with your connections. Um, it could just be that they're obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> could be. Um, so I'm 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 struggling a, a little to make to make the connection. So maybe you could you can walk me through it a little. Well, I, you know, I I I've mentioned uh, I have two that I'll mention because uh, I try to think of like two things because I, I I try to have uh, fallbacks, you know, in case the the one. So for me, uh, the core of today's topic is a snarly third rail kind of issue. Okay. And so I thought about that. You can't ride a tiger. Got it. All right. I see that. And uh, today's topic, really, if you think about it, is all about perceptions, what those perceptions mean, and whether those perceptions can be trusted. Okay. So I thought maybe, you know, Jerry Leary's kind of having to train his uh, perceptive senses and, and being able to, you know, show that he can come up with a darn good uh, coffee roast without... Um, his sight just as well as uh, as tr- traditional sighted roasters. I thought maybe maybe there's a connection there. All right, I see it. I see them both now because um, we're going to be talking about uh, end of course evaluation kind oh, of data, uh, which is a subject of some angst among certain quarters. So mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. I get it. And and then the tiger. I should have been paying attention to that particular call out. I guess. But eh. uh, all right, I get it. Thank you. Thanks uh-huh. you for. <laughs> Taking me by the hand like a small child and walking me up to the connection and pointing it out and saying, look, Tom, see that connection? Isn't that pretty? Hey, thanks for acknowledging that there could be one. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. It's debatable. Well, before we dig into the details of the connection and the Uh interview that you conducted related Uh to this connection, it's it's probably worth saying that, you know, we are recording this in, in March of you know, Anno Domini 2021, and uh-huh. uh, that uh, we're still dealing with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. So yeah. um, that has not changed too much, although we, it feels to me like we're, we're turning a bit of a corner. We're starting to make plans for fall that are mm-hmm. potentially a little more normal and back to business as usual. And uh, maybe the rest of you across the country are starting to, to feel that shift as well. Vaccines are... Rolling out, and, right? Um, yeah, I, I think that's true. I think this, if I remember right, I should have looked at this. I, this episode, when it releases, will be darn close to almost exactly one year when we certainly went to remote work and emergency ad hoc remote instruction, and you know everybody was within a seems like uh, in the U.S. anyway within a couple of weeks. You know, it's going to be right at that one year anniversary as this episode releases. I think. It's amazing. A year. I know. A whole year of this nonsense, Kelvin. I know. I, wow. I know. So I see you through the little, you know, the little romper room uh, <laughs> telecommuting uh, window here. I know. I know. Well, hopefully. Hopefully. But just to years. kind of put that on the table, let yeah. people kind of orient them where we are in the recording of this. And if you're listening to this at some point in the distant future, yes, it's still happening. But hopefully, yeah. hopefully there's some light we can see at the end of this tunnel. Yes. So back to the business of the day. Yes. And that is uh, end of course evaluations. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Kelvin, let me take you back in time. <laughs> let me take you back to um, OLC Accelerate 2019. I remember it. See if you remember this. I you will. 
Yes. Interviewed Dr. Barbara Zorn. Mm -hmm. At the time of the interview, Dr. Zorn was Associate Dean of the College of Liberal Arts at Ashford University, which is now the University of Arizona Global Campus. Mm -hmm. And during OLC Accelerate 2019, she was recognized with a Best in Track Award for her research-based session entitled mm -hmm. Mining for Achievement Using Student Performance and End-of-Course Data, a Multi-Covariate Analysis of 60,000 Online Courses. Say that five times fast. Sounds like some serious scholarship right there. Yeah, no, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. do remember that. I do, <laughs> I do remember I'm glad. That. <laughs> All is not lost. You do remember <laughs> that, yes. That's good. Yeah, I, it, was a good, it was a good interview, and uh, I'm happy to share it. And as we said to our listeners before, you know, hey, we're getting there. We've got maybe another one or two uh, longer ago interviews in the can that we've been kind of releasing interspersed with more um, recently recorded interviews, but we're, we're, we're getting to the end of them. I mean, the, the shelf life is, uh, <laughs> you know, we're, you know, we're not past the expiration date yet, but this is still a very uh, relevant topic, I think. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're still doing end of course evaluations, aren't mm -hmm. we? Yeah. yeah. So uh, any, anything you want to comment on prior to the, to the interview playing? No, I, I think uh, I think it'll stand on its own, and maybe we'll just make some comments on the backside of it. Sounds good. Now, through the magic of podcast time travel, here's your interview with Dr. Zorn. Barb, thanks so much for joining us on TopCast today. Thank you. I, it's great to be here. That's awesome. I was, as I said right before I hit record, I was really excited to hear about the research that you've um, brought uh, to here at OLC Accelerate 2019. Best in track. Congratulations. That's Pretty awesome. It was. It was really amazing to have received that award and such an honor because there's so many fantastic presentations in that category and in every category. So it's really great. Thank you. But I was fascinated. You know, a large scale study. Um, and I know that like end of term evaluations literature has been kind of controversial through the years. But I was fascinated if I, if I grasp this correctly, that you've looked for connections between those end-of-term evaluations and student performance uh, through through grades and, and other faculty characteristics and so forth. I just thought that was just intriguing. How how'd you end up getting into this uh, line of research? I think having been a teacher for so many years and having seen those end-of-course evaluations, uh, not only as a professor, but also as a program chair and associate dean evaluating other faculty. And you are absolutely correct. The literature is in turmoil because there are so many different opinions and viewpoints. And there's this ongoing controversy of whether or not we should use these end-of-course surveys as faculty evaluations. Mm -hmm. And in many places, they're weighted towards tenure. Mm -hmm. um, so this can create a lot of anxiety for faculty. Um, and, you know, the per faculty perception has always been, well, students favor lenient graders. Mm -hmm. So they're going to rank those professors more favorably. And as my uh, dean and I were looking at faculty evaluations, we said to ourselves, you know what, let's just settle this. Let's mm -hmm. settle this once and for all. We have a lot of data. We're going to look at it. We are going to determine whether or not this is in fact the case. And if there is a bias, we are going to adjust for that bias so we can get to the heart of the matter, the mm -hmm. absolute um, truth as best as we can find it. 
And what was interesting for us is throughout this process, it was really quite a journey. And one of the, I think, big aha moments was that this is not a faculty evaluation. Mm -hmm. This is a student-centered evaluation, and the students are pointing us in the right direction. <laughs> so we need to look at where they're pointing so we can see what we can do in the classroom. Mm -hmm. We can see how we can improve our own in performance in the classroom, our curriculum, uh, our assessments, everything, all of our students support and really get in there and do the best job that we can for our students. So shift the focus from us onto what matters, our students. That's fascinating. And, uh, and what a commitment to say, hey, let's settle this once and for all. Uh, has that, just to jump ahead a little bit, has that at this point um, given you pause to to implement in some of the ways that you just mentioned, actually think about changing the way that you provide student-facing services and, and ensure uh, student success, as you say, taking the focus off of the faculty and on it. Have you already made changes? Uh, yes, we have. We started making changes, uh, I would say, late in 2018, early 2019. Huh. So there are a few things that um, were implemented that were directly a direct spinoff uh, from this research. So one of those things was um, a new role called faculty of practice. And the idea here was to um, take the traditional faculty role, which is typically teaching, uh, research, and service, and focus entirely on teaching. And we had wonderful results on it. Um, so those faculty that are just focused on teaching, those students had a higher record of success. Other things that we did was um, collaborated with our Center for Excellence of Teaching and Learning, and they began developing uh, different kinds of professional development. They already had professional development um, you know, ongoing for faculty. But the shift of the focus mirrored what we found in our research. So we found, for example, that students really value written feedback, mm -hmm. you know, that meaningful feedback that helps them improve their, their mm -hmm. work. Mm -hmm. They value high expectations in the mm -hmm. classroom from mm -hmm. the faculty. And they also value faculty expertise and engagement. So these factors that emerged uh, are now reflected in our faculty training, uh, both at the program level, at the college level, and at the institutional level. So um, many of our programs have engaged in um, improving their faculty expertise, mm -hmm. not just in teaching and learning, but also in their disciplines. And there have been um, additional professional development opportunities for faculty um, to increase their positivity in the classroom, oh. to increase their uh, engagement in the discussions, mm -hmm. and to provide quality feedback that is not overly time-consuming, mm -hmm. right? And I think that's a big, a big thing to look at because one aspect of the research focused on uh, the difference between part-time faculty and full-time faculty. Right. And the big difference there is time. So we have amazing part-time faculty. Mm -hmm. um, and the differences that we found um, in terms of how students rank both groups really, I think, has to do with the amount of time that part-time faculty can commit to, to grading, to being in, mm -hmm. in, in the classroom. So um, one of the other important initiatives that we have taken is to create 
pilot classrooms where we have streamlined the curriculum, streamlined the delivery of content so that the burden is off of the faculty. And then in this regard, the faculty can then devote their time to that quality feedback mm -hmm. that the students are so craving for. That's great. I mean, it's wonderful to hear that you're already taking such concrete actions. I wonder how have your faculty full-time and part-time responded to those changes? Has that been welcomed or uh, have you gotten pushback? Does it, I assume it's all about how you frame it, I, uh, I would imagine, but what, what kind of reactions have you gotten? Well, I think the actual results were well received. Uh -huh. the, when we uh, first proposed the research, uh, we had quite a bit of kickback. Mm. There were, it raised so much anxiety uh -huh. um, by our faculty because there are lots of problems with end-of-course surveys. And mm. as you said, the literature is in turmoil. Yeah. So um, our faculty gave us excellent feedback. They pointed out all the flaws in end-of-course surveys. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, my collaborator and I, we sat down, we noted every single flaw, and we took, we tackled each one step by step in order to address them statistically as best as we could. Wow. So we have control for bias. Mm -hmm. We use statistical measures that, um, that are highly tolerant of uneven data sets. Mm. That's a big problem, yeah. right? Um, our data, we didn't need to transform it because our data were normally distributed, mm -hmm. but we did all the checks. Mm -hmm. We did all of the data diagnostics. We went step by step. And I think the most important aspect of this research is that it was fully grounded in ethics. Mm -hmm. We were very respectful of our faculty's uh, privacy, mm -hmm. um, of their need to feel secure in not being evaluated. It was This is absolutely not a witch hunt. Right. The focus was on proving our students' mm -hmm. learning condition. Um, so the results were actually quite well received, and people were, you know, really happy to to see that. Um, our Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning was, you know, incredibly supportive, as were our university deans in helping implement um, and using this knowledge to um, to really get their faculty uh, to be in, engaged, more engaged, and, and train their people. So it's been really exciting. Sounds like you. I mean, the the phrase that comes to my mind is due diligence. It seems like you've really done your due diligence in terms of, as you said, being respectful of faculty and uh, showing care for their concerns and addressing those concerns transparently. That's, that's admirable, I think. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, that was really, really important to us. And of course, and of course, surveys are, they're anonymous. Mm -hmm. And we were very careful uh, to keep all of our data secure. Um, we did not look at faculty names. Everybody was assigned a unique number, and then the faculty names just went away. So mm -hmm. we just dealt with numbers, yeah. Um, and yeah, it was. So you're just dealing in the aggregate and looking for patterns, and not exactly. It's not going to come not back people. to haunt anybody. Yes, <laughs> individually. exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 great. Um, zooming out for a second, I want to make sure I don't get this wrong or misstate this. So I'm going to just assume that the words that are about to come out of my mouth are wrong, so just tell me how wrong they are. How about that? How about that? So uh, is it fair to say that um, a lot of what you've done in your study is to look for a relationship between faculty characteristics and behaviors and student performance? And 
So A, is that the case? And, and B, what have you found? And so you can correct anything that's wrong there. I think one of the important or one of the more interesting aspects of the research is that we didn't just look at the end of course survey. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm, I'm a very conservative when it comes to statistics. Mm -hmm. And I think that secondary measures are important to have, um, you know, to, to kind of support and corroborate what has been found. So we used end of course surveys, but we also used our annual instructional quality reviews of our faculty yeah. to correlate those to, or rather or not to test whether there's a correlation between those and student success measures. And those student success measures included grades, mm -hmm. percentage of students that passed a class, mm -hmm as well as the percentage of students that progressed onto the next course. Mm -hmm. And what we found over the three-year study quite consistently is that students' grades, positive grades, good grades, are strongly and highly correlated to written feedback mm -hmm. and to critical thinking, whether or not that faculty member promotes critical thinking in the classroom, mm -hmm. and whether or not that person provides uh, feedback that is meaningful, instructive, and helps the students correct mm -hmm. and do better on future assignments. So those are really the, the big the big issues. What we also found is that when faculty uh, were not fully engaged in the classroom, mm -hmm. and when faculty had a low presence and they did not share their expertise, those factors were highly correlated with the percentage of students that failed a class or mm. dropped a class. So when students come in and they are with someone that perhaps is not quite engaged mm -hmm. as they should be, then it has a negative effect. Mm. So these are really, really, it's very powerful to see that and mm. to kind of confirm it. And what's interesting is sometimes there is this perception that students do prefer leniency, but in our case, they do not. Hmm. Our students have high expectations of themselves, and they expect the faculty to match it. They want to be challenged, yeah. but they don't want to be overwhelmed, challenged and supported to do better. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so just so I'm clear and our listeners are clear, it's not just that you looked at, if I understood correctly, it's not just that you looked at what the student said in their end of term um, surveys about faculty behaviors that was uh, coordinated with uh, the actual uh, uh, annual faculty evaluations uh, and you're looking for uh, consistency, uh, whether, for instance, whether an instructor has provided uh, written feedback as a, as a matter of practice. Is, is that correct? Yes, that is correct. So the we have data from different sources, mm -hmm. and we made sure that the data, that the answers we received, mm -hmm. the results that we received, kind of match up mm -hmm. from different sources, from those dis different sources of measurement, because yeah. that's important. So what the students, their feedback, the way they rated uh, those criteria, um, by critical thinking and participation, et cetera, matched how uh, our peer reviews of our faculty in terms of student performance. So we have two different sources of data telling us that, mm -hmm. yeah, um, you know, this is important to the students, it's important to the faculty. 
Um, and it also lets us know that we can trust hmm. our students' perception yeah. of their own learning. That's huge, right? It is really big. That is a big, I think that's a huge mind shift. Yeah. Because for a long time, we kind of thought, are students really even qualified you hear that to a lot. evaluate yeah. faculty, to evaluate their own learning? Yeah. And as it turns out, our data, our very big 60,000 plus data set yeah. uh, says, yes, they are qualified. Huh. That's, that's huge. Mm -hmm. And um, and to be clear, you've, you've used the word classroom a number of times. So this is not limited in any way to um, just face-to-face -face classroom uh, environments. I mean, you're, you're looking at the online environment here where where feedback and... and um, uh, the, the, the human element is so crucial to student engagement and performance, right? Yeah, I think that's really an excellent point. Uh, the context here is that our university, every course is, everything is 100% online. Mm -hmm. Our courses are five weeks in length. Mm -hmm. uh, our students are typically uh, 25 years and older. 25% mm -hmm. of our students are military. Mm -hmm. Two thirds receive Pell Grants. Mm -hmm and more than 70% of our students are female. So that's our demography and yeah. everything is online. So in five weeks, it's a tall order yeah. to uh, not only absorb the content, but also to develop a relationship with students. No, that's huge. So as we get ready to wrap up, uh, you've talked about some of the implications that you've implemented already uh, in your institution in terms of uh, faculty preparation, um, faculty uh, behaviors. Um, if if uh, our audience is generally made up of instructional designers, online teaching faculty, online administrators, if you were going to offer uh, like one takeaway in general or one for each of those groups, you know, I know this is maybe reductionist and overly simplistic here, but like I, I've heard the word feedback a lot. Like if you're going to do one thing, is it say? do more written feedback, what kind of written feedback, what, what, what kind of advice uh, on the ground would you, I know it, it I know, I see the pained look on your face, you're, you're like, no, don't put me down to one thing. But if there was any takeaway like that, real practical, what would it be? Well, I think the practical takeaway is to really focus on feedback and ensure that faculty are able to give that quality feedback hmm. to students, a balanced feedback on the students' ideas not just on their writing or mm -hmm. APA formatting or any of that, but really on their ideas, help them develop their ideas. It's important to them. And um, I am, I'm reminded of um, something my colleague said. He said, whenever we go into the classroom, we should treat every single student as if they are our family members. Mm. Hmm. That's huge. And that, that changes that helps us see people with compassion yeah. and treat people with care and compassion and support. Well, that's a wonderful, uh, what I'll consider final word. That's a great place to leave it. Thank you so much for sharing um, your research uh, at a broad level and, uh, and the implications. And we'll certainly link to some supporting resources so that our listeners can delve in more. But thank you for joining us and sharing. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure to be here. So, Kelvin, that was your interview with Dr. Barbara Zorn. Uh, thank you for doing that back in 2019. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm glad to uh, finally be able to offer this one up uh, to the community. I think it's an interesting, 
interesting topic, you know, as I, as I said in the, in the interview. And, uh, you know, it, I think everybody's probably in touch with this to some extent or another. Indeterminate evaluations can be a little, a little contentious. And, um, I mean, you know, Dr. Zorn said uh, the literature was in turmoil. You know, I mean, there is some, uh, there's some drama that can come around when people start talking about indeterminate evaluations, right? Yeah, well, and it could be high stakes, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the promotion, tenure, annual evaluations are, are yeah. depending upon the kind of institution you are yeah. um, and the kind of discipline you're in, it can, it can hold a lot of sway over, over how you are evaluated. Yeah, and I just love the fact that, uh, you know, there's so much going on in, um, in this research project that she uh, presented on at uh, Accelerate 2019 and, and got this Best in Track award for. But I think the whole idea of there's some, there's some validation of student perceptions in there a little bit, and there's some just the whole notion of trying to connect um, the student perceptions and an end-of-term evaluation with student performance. That whole notion of, well, students like faculty who are lenient. And then it's like, well, no, actually, you know, let's look at the data. And that's not exactly the case. You know, that's, yeah. that's I'm not surprised to hear that, um, you know, based on my own anecdotal experience and that of talking to other faculty, um, that uh, it, it isn't just being easy on students. Uh, even if you just go to something as crazy as rate my professor, Mm-hmm. You know, what students will say, and I understand the controversy around that particular website, but um, students will often say, um, yeah, they're hard but fair, they're hard but I learned a lot, um, and, and give high rank- rankings on that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just, oh, it's an easy A. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, we'll, uh, I think we'll, we'll be able to pull out uh, some of the relevant literature uh, historically, um, and stick it in the show notes. Like our colleagues here at UCF, Dr. Chuck Jubin and Dr. Patsy Moskal have done uh, data mining of their own around end-of-term evaluations. Um, but it's sort of a very different approach and a different structure. Um, but it, it's, it's interesting in and of itself. Like in their case, they were doing decision tree analysis that uh, came up with uh, decision goals, you know, like kind of to what extent did uh, certain decision-making rules explain uh, the, you know, the final ratings. That's a different kind of approach than uh, Dr. Zorn and her colleague were, were doing here. But it's still interesting to look at that. So we'll put that there. But that um, work from Chuck and Patsy, they refer to as Dr. Fox Rocks, and that is a historical allusion to a bit of the end-of-term evaluation literature called the Dr. Fox literature, the Dr. Fox effect. The original paper in 1973 uh, that references that uh, in medical education was called, uh, uh, references the Dr. Fox lecture. Somebody who's really smooth and, and a good presenter, but has nothing of value to say at all, how do students perceive that person? Uh, and so there's this whole subset of the literature that's about that. So Chuck and Patsy make an homage in their data mining uh, paper. But we'll put some of this, this kind of literature in there. Uh, but the, the reason I bring up that Dr. Fox paper is I went back and looked at that recently, 1973. Here's a line for you, because this is exactly the opposite of what Barb Zorn and her colleagues found in, in this research. In the Dr. Fox uh, lecture paper, the authors say, student satisfaction with learning may represent little more than the illusion of having learned. And I think Dr. Zorn's research is like, yeah, not so much. Well, you know, pedagogical practice 
and student expectations, and a lot has changed since 1973. Yeah, so, you know, we may have evolved since then. Yeah, that's right. One can hope. Yeah. <laughs> One can hope. One can hope. There's so much more we could talk about, but, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I, I was really taken with um, how she ended the interview about um, her colleagues' admonition to see students as if they were one of your family members. And that's just a good word any day. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, those are words to live by. Yeah. Cool, so do you wanna, do you wanna see if you can uh, give mm. us the sort of the, the bottom line? Sure, uh, I'll try to put a button on this episode and send us on our way. End of term student evaluations remain a contentious issue, at least in some of our institutions, but understanding how they can be used effectively to improve student learning is important. So continued research in this area, especially in the context of online courses, lights our way forward. How's that? Amen, brother. Uh, so thank you. Uh, thank you to Barbara Zorn. Thank you mm -hmm. to Russ Poulin for the coffee. And um, thank you for the interview. So mm -hmm. until next time, for TopCast, I'm Tom. I'm Kelvin. See ya.